Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast, the last one of the 2022-2023 season and it was a ridiculous final weekend that we had in Belgium. I'm obviously joined by Scott and Joris. Guys, have you recovered yet? Scott, I presume you may have done, but Joris probably not. That's just me arriving in my helicopter. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, much like many of the Hank Scott, I am still very devastated. And yeah, well, congratulations to Antwerp. I already spoiled that for everyone. But uh, that, I, I guess everyone that listens knows the outcome already. But uh, congratulations, despite how I am feeling at the moment. And uh, I'm far from the only ones. But yeah, okay, we'll get more into this later, of course. But uh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to make it about me now. I, I don't really want to. I hate people doing that. But imagine, imagine being in Hamburg with Haisfa last week. Just get a new job with a Dortmund uh, boss and now um, a fan as a as boss and, and now this happening to my own team. It's, not, <laughs> it's, it's, been, it's, been, it's been the craziest eight, eight or nine days uh, <laughs> last, lately. It sounds like you're in the perfect place for everyone to have just experienced all that so you can all kind of like bond over it. Hamburg is anyway a good place for a perfect storm, yeah. <laughs> either way, any time of year. So. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, and then they got hammered by Stuttgart in their playoff game as well. So anyway, but we're not here to talk about German football, we are here to talk about Belgian football. And yeah, let's start with the uh, scores from the playoff two, obviously with uh, Ghent having wrapped that up a couple of weeks ago. They're just kind of going through the motions. Circle of Bruges, they beat Veselo 2-0 at home, which means they finished sixth, and that's their best season for a very, very long time. So congratulations to them. Fantastic work. Ghent, they beat Standard Liège 3-1. Hugo Kuypers scoring a hat-trick. That makes him the first Belgian to win the top-scoring competition since Romelu Lukaku in 2009-2010. I think he scored about 15 goals then. So congratulations to Hugo Kuypers to do it with a hat-trick as well. It's always quite a nice, kind of satisfying way to round that one off. But the real, real drama and focus is all on Sunday afternoon at 5.30 UK time, 6.30 Belgian time. Both games kicking off in Brussels and Genk. And I think we're just going to have to run through it and relive it in very short, a short manner and hope that Joris can kind of stay with us and doesn't just leave halfway through the recording because you <laughs> deal, deal with it again. We've been a bit harsh and we've dragged him in almost just under over 24 hours after the event to kind of just get him, he can just get through it and move on to next season. Yeah, so going into it, obviously Antwerp are in control. They just need to win uh, or match Union's result and they would be fine depending, obviously if Union lost and they lost in Genk 1, it would have been all different, but basically beat better Union's result and they would be fine. So to kick off, it's Antwerp in first, Union in second, Genk in third. And by half time, just before half time, Genk take the lead. There's been no goals in Brussels, but Genk take the lead through Tolo Akadari. Really nice, well worked move. Canus winning the ball back, playing a lovely pass. Ball eventually comes across to Tolu to sweep home. So half time in Brussels and Genk. It's Genk who are winning the league because Union and Club Bruges are drawing nil nil. So it's a fantastic atmosphere in Genk with the home fans enjoying the sunshine, enjoying the uh, half time entertainment. They haven't even come back out and everything's changed by the 46th minute as Union just burst out the gate. Simon Odinga plays a 1 2 with Victor Boniface and then slides it past Simon Mignolet to send everyone at the Joseph Marin absolutely nuts because now they're winning the league. And that's pretty much how it's staying until I think about 12 minutes later when Antwerp, who haven't, they just didn't look that effective up front for most of the game uh, to start with. They just didn't really seem to be creating much or doing many much with chances and stuff. But they take advantage of a bit of poor defending from Genk and Jelani Kirk sticks it in to make it 1-1. At that moment, it's kind of not affecting anything because Union are obviously doing better than Antwerp, so they are ahead. But it does mean Antwerp are just one goal away. Whereas for Genk, they knew they had to win, so they are now on the back foot. So it's still kind of a good situation for Union because Genk, they knew were going to be going for it. So they're winning and it gets to the 75th minute and Genk, obviously, like we said, needing that win. They then take the lead to really 
dampen the spirits uh, for Antwerp and back home at the Bossel Stadium, which is full with fans watching on the big screen. Brian Heenan, he scores in the 75th minute. So for Genk, they're now just kind of all on the radios, listening to what's going on in Brussels. There was a moment, I think, guys, that uh, Noosa deflects it off Candus and it hits the post. And I think some Genk fans thought that Club Bruce had scored because they all started celebrating. And Will on commentary was like, something's happened in Brussels and nothing had happened in Brussels. <laughs> <laughs> he just kept, and they just kept commentating. He was just like, okay, clearly nothing. If you were watching the Genk Antwerp game, just got to do a massive shout out to Will because his commentary was absolutely fantastic. Um, he was loving every moment of it with the rest of us. So yeah, going into kind of late 80 minutes, Union still leading 1-0 against a Club Bruchide that have absolutely nothing to play for. They're ringing the changes they've chucked on. I think Cesar Sanders come on, Chimisdi Tabli, Shion Homer. They've all come on, all these players that have been playing a lot of football for club next. And Union, it, the party's starting to get going. Like The fans are starting to really, really enjoy it in the sunshine in Brussels. And then just out of nowhere, they concede. 89th minute from a set piece. Ball gets headed back across. Homer, who's come off the bench, he tucks it in. And suddenly everything changes again. Just before the end of their game, 89th minute of that Homer goal, Genk are back in the driving seat because they are obviously winning against Antwerp, which means they're ahead of both of those teams. And Union obviously have to react, so they just start chucking. I think they chuck on Ross Sykes, Jorba Vitesse, who wasn't really fit, but they just chuck him on, stick all these players on to like just push for the goal. They'd also lost Teddy Tuma midway through this through the second half, and I think that may have paid dividends at the end. I don't know if you obviously can't really tell but they check all these players forward as they're going forward they get caught in the counter-attack Noah Lang sticks it in the back of the neck to make it 2-1 to Club Bruges takes his top off because obviously why wouldn't you do that when you're finishing fourth and have nothing to play for um, and you're just killing another team's title aspirations but I feel like that's the moment that Noah Lang lives for so at that point the Genk fans obviously get news of this goal and they're like this is great like Yuli on a basically out of it because this is the 93rd minute there's still some time left on the clock in Brussels but are they really even Union the Union side we know they can do the miraculous stuff but it just didn't feel like they'd had a chance now they were running out of steam the fans looked a bit dejected the Genk fans are starting to believe and then Antwerp strike Toby Alderweireld he's been sent up front proper like school ground like kitchen sink stuff like chucking everything at it the ball drops on the edge of the box to Yeli Batai. He cuts it back and out of Ayrod's there. And it just made me instantly think of the Vincent Company goal for City that won them the league that year. Smashed it into the top corner and it's just pandemonium from the Antwerp bench. There's just trainers, coaches, physios all over the floor. <laughs> out of Ayrod, as he's running back, I think it's maybe Al Hassan Yusuf tries to catch him and he just goes absolutely flying. He's just like, just bounces off him and like rolls off screen. Absolute chaos there. Bustle Stadion's obviously going absolutely nuts. Michel Anjbali quickly gets sent off in the melee. Didn't, didn't see that happen. He just picks up his second yellow card and he's sent off. Will's obviously going nuts as well. Fantastic moment for them. Not so much for Geg or Union. And that is how it ends. Antwerp win the league in the 94th minute. Absolutely ridiculous final day of the season. They just looked completely out of it for the entirety of the second half. It just felt like, especially when Genk were winning 2-1, it felt like there's no chance Antwerp, it's just Genk or Union at this moment. And then those last couple of minutes were absolute chaos. And I mean, just reliving it now, I think I've watched that goal so many times. It's just absolutely mental. Uh, There's a great story, obviously, for him as a child from Antwerp I'm sure loads of people saw but I mean Scott how do you even follow that up next year do you know what I mean like that is one of the best kind of final days we've had not everyone's a fan of the playoffs but it's finally kind of engineered this absolute crazy finish to a season that we could only dream of as neutrals well I don't think it gets any better than that in terms of excitement I don't think that will be topped for a very very long time it feels like one of those almost once in a generation type wild weekends uh where everything drama wise that could happen does does happen and that you know I I was looking back on uh, some of the action um since last night and big Toby's league winning goal uh, I think was on uh, 94 minutes and 53 seconds, something like that. You know, so Genk were, you know, just over a minute away from from winning it. 
Um, and obviously it's one of those, you know, now or never type moments. And when he actually hit that ball, sometimes players hit a ball so sweetly, you're instantly going, oh, where's this going? And it was one of those moments. And it was just, it was the absolute opposite of a homeless goal when that went in. Because I was actually, I was double screening um, the game. So I had them both on simultaneously, as I think a lot of people did. And a few minutes beforehand, we'd just seen all of the the, the air sucked out of the Joseph Marion Stadium. It was it was like instant death. And you, you had the polar opposite of that with that, with that moment. Just extraordinary. And of course, at different points um, in the evening, uh, each of the three sides were were winning the league as well. Just just un, un, unbelievable. I mean, can you imagine being in that helicopter as well, being you know being up in the sky somewhere and you're heading in a certain direction and then you have to change direction and then you have to probably go fuck it. We're just going to hover here for 10, 15 minutes and you know see see what happens. Um, because that must have been a pretty wild experience in itself, you know, with people with their phones in their hand going, where, where, where are we actually going? Phones going off. Yeah, I mean, just absolutely crazy. And an incredible mix of emotions as well, you know, unbelievable highs to, you know, real real, real despair. And you, you couldn't have predicted it being that dramatic at all. You absolutely couldn't have. I mean, the, the, the Pro League, the thing is, is, you know, as people who watch it regularly, as we do, will know as well that the Pro League isn't short of drama at the best of times. It's, it's quite a wildly entertaining league and has been for a long time. And, and you know, this is almost the epitome of it. It was just, just absolutely extraordinary. And it just, it just you know, I, I, I think... The real test of that is the fact that on social media over the last 24 hours as well, I've seen a lot of people who obviously haven't been watching the Pro League this season or kind of at all who've been picking up on the madness uh, of the climax and, you know, are giving it, have you seen what's just happened in the Pro League? Everybody switch over and have a look at what's happening in Belgium because, it, it, you know, news was travelling fast and filtering down through the wider footballing community and I, I think that's a brilliant thing and, and only a good thing as well. Um, just just absolutely crazy and I, I still haven't can, kind of completely got my own breath back uh, around it, even as a neutral. And as a fan of one of the teams also, yes. Uh, objectively speaking, which I am uh, very much struggling with definitely one of the most exciting endings of the season regardless of that i i don't think i will ever try to watch the images again <laughs> to be honest but uh yeah all kinds of emotions uh, you guys know i actually throughout the whole game even at the times that think virtually were champion i did not really believe in it actually even at the even in these final moments i just felt like uh something is going to happen we cannot take a keep a lead lately and unfortunately that was the case uh, but yeah I'll need some time to recover and many with me I also feel for the for Union actually because I, I feel like they bottled it even more than Genk actually did in a in a way yeah in a way um but yeah the, it's it's unfortunate the, for for them that the, that they somehow couldn't get over the hill um I guess the, maybe the mass injury also did not help for them it's um and yeah, for Genk, uh, I, I, yeah, it's just there's so many things to say about the game. There's definitely some uh, I won't delve too deep in it, but there's definitely some as which many decisions in the playoffs, some some um, p- ref- potential referee controversy uh, in 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 Genk's uh, disadvantage. But yeah, regardless of that, they were in the position they should have pulled it over the line. I can't wrap my head around how many, how much space, but both Bataille and uh, Alderweireld got. Yeah, the, uh, close to the to the box, uh, and of course, even then, it's not likely that that shot goes in. But yeah, it should just not. It should at least be blocked. <laughs> uh, it, if if it actually can't even even start, I guess you should be able to to see that game out. Uh, make some. Maybe take a red card actually yourself if if need be for, uh, but then further away from goal because Antwerp they were not at at their best this game obviously so they they were were struggling in attack um, and yeah just a, a long ball that it didn't look likely that that would have had made any difference because it hadn't all during all the whole game Kink was actually handling quite well until well two phases actually the first goal as well of course Arteaga not sure what he was doing there except gifting uh, the ball to Antwerp players there unfortunately but okay he also overcome that and then yeah no 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 just not 
Give, throwing it away, throwing it away, give, giving too many options for for Alderweireld to shoot, for Batai to pick out Alderweireld, even that uh, he got uh, well, he he more or less missed his control even, but after that he got all the time to to lay it off, uh, and yeah, the, we all know the results now. And uh, uh, while for many people that's probably a highlight for me, that's definitely uh, yeah <laughs> a heartbreaking moment because I, I guess the. My stream was also struggling, so that didn't help for me either. Like uh, uh, of the last five to ten minutes, I haven't watched that many. Unfortunately for me, I have in that moment it I tuned in, but I think when the I didn't see any replays of it anymore. And I didn't, I actually missed the end of the game. I think uh, I came back in when it was a final whistle, and the, uh, yeah, I put it off again really quickly at that time. But. Uh, yeah, it's uh, devastating, really. Also, in a way, the worst case scenario is like, uh, nothing against Antwerp in that sense, but just that it's the opponent that Henk were playing, celebrating in the end at Henk's expense then as well. While that was not very likely that there, that, that would even be the case, even before this game started, that uh, that it would be really specifically at Henk's expense. Yeah, in that sense. Um, I'm, I'm in one way uh, really happy because I think... Uh, contrary to many other Hink fans, I'll probably will be able to give it a place a bit earlier than others that were in the stadium. So like, I'm, I'm relatively happy that I wasn't in the stadium. On the other hand, I'm also very unhappy that I wasn't there at the same time. So it's uh, very much a mixed bag there. And like I said, congratulations to Antwerp. That's the first and foremost thing, of course, to say. But yeah, that uh, I, I still can't believe it. Joris is talking about sort of the margins in football, um, and you think you know it, it was going to take something like that for Antwerp to probably score and and to um, to come away with the title, which they did. But you know, as Joris was saying, you're, you're watching it and you're thinking, you know, one one half decent block in there, or somebody throwing themselves in the way, you know, to block that shot. That doesn't go in, and you know it's it's an entirely different story. And go, going right to the wire like that, with with a moment like that, is just, you know, it just it just dials the pain up a little bit. Um, as we've just heard from Joris, and kind of completely understand where he's where he's coming from there. Um, really, really tough one. And as he was saying right back at the very beginning, I think our Joris is due some good luck. Um, because he's been around a lot of bad luck over the last week. Yeah, no, exactly. And as I was going to say, it kind of, like, obviously not in the way that it happened, but the result in terms of that game, kind of, that's what I, I thought that was these two sides would cancel each other out. I didn't think it would happen like it did, but, and that's why I always thought Union would win it because I just felt well, like they had, and I think that's what will frustrate them more than anything as a, a team in terms of players, fans, coaching stuff will be like, we threw it away in the final minutes against a team with like nothing to play for. And like mm. we said, didn't we, that like there's no way Club Bruges are going to go there and not play. Like they're obviously going to be professional about it. And it's ironic that in the end, they end up delivering one of their bitter rivals, a trophy and a, t- and a title, the first one since 1957. But it just... It felt like they just, we obviously didn't speak about it in the roundup, but they had so many chances to kill that game off. Like Boniface had one that went just wide. Lapisan had one that went wide. Mm. Tuma going off, that was really unfortunate. He just, yeah, it was, it was just a great block, I think, from Hendry, but the way it kind of hit back on his leg, he had to go off. But Puertas, I think he then had a chance as well after coming on. And you just, he felt like if these don't go in, that when are the nerves going to kick in? And they did kick in and it's just... Against a side like Club Bruges, you can never be too sure, even when they don't have something to play for. Like, and then the, the goal just—you understand why they chucked everyone on and went for it like they did. But it just was—it just was such a kicker, kick in the teeth because you just felt like go gung ho. But maybe you've got like the, a lot of added time. Maybe be a little bit cautionary in the sense that you don't want to then completely lose it because if they'd kept it at the one one like it was, they may have then had a chance to score again, but they just it, it really did kill them then having to try and find those two goals. Um but I also wanted to give like a shout out to to Mark Van Bommel because I know that if people listening to this who follow Dutch football or German football will know about his time at PSV, his time at Wolfsburg where he did have those really good starts and it completely fell off off a cliff basically and he, he both kind of was much criticised. And he had a similar kind of good start here with Antwerp. It then started to fall off when they lost to Kortrijk and then they started to lose to some of the teams around them. Then they came into the playoffs, won those three on the bounce, won the cup. He's now delivered a double and they've squeaked 
over the line. Like they, they really probably should have done it against Union last week, but they've got there in the end eventually. And he just looked such a delighted, relieved man. And you could tell this clearly does mean quite a lot to him in the sense of after what he's been through in his managerial career so far. And then to, for Ida, it just felt like it was it was bound to be Ida Vyroad, wasn't it? It just like it was that was the story that was going to be kind of emerging. But yeah, commiserations to Genk, commiserations to Union as well. That's uh, the second time now in two seasons where they haven't managed to get over the line. And I think it's it's very easy to say, oh, we'll go again next year. But football, like so many other sports, you just don't, you can never guarantee that you're going to be back in that position to win a title again. So when you have that chance, you've just got to take it. Um, you just, yeah, you see it in so many other sports. My team's currently in the NBA basketball finals in the Denver Nuggets. And I'm just like, I think they lost last night. And I was like, mm, I probably shouldn't tell yours. I feel maybe feel like he does uh, about losing one. They only lost one game. But <laughs> you just realise in the sport, when you get to that chance to win something like a title, you really do have to take it. Because in that situation, Antwerp and Union were the two sides that really could have won it. But Genk then come back and they could have won it at the end there. Yeah, I mean, fair play also to the playoffs, I guess we can say. I know, Scott, you've criticised them. I've never been a massive fan. But <laughs> they they finally delivered us something that was truly awesome any other thoughts from you guys on the other two oh, on yeah on union or something like that i know scott we just spoke about Antwerp, but and you're obviously spoken about genk but yeah any other further thoughts on this one yeah i'm still i'm still a fan of the playoffs that's all that's all i'm gonna say that's all that's uh, that's an objective statement <laughs> i think people know that you know i've never really been a fan of the playoffs uh, for reasons i've spoke about before and i haven't really changed my mind but i think if anything the the excitement and the drama of this weekend has actually probably ensured that the playoffs are here to stay for longer than than some people might like um you know they're here for the foreseeable future that's that's for sure on union i think the the Fortunate thing for them is that you know this is a side who who are so good offensively, and although uh, this season I think um, physically they've been stronger and the defensive side of their game has been better than it was under Mazu, on the whole. Um, I think it's kind of ironic that the one game where they just had they, they just had to literally shut the back door. Sorry for using a cliche, but in those final few moments, and they just they just couldn't do it. Slight, slightly naive, if I'm honest. I understand that that urge, you know, because of you know all of the news that's flying around elsewhere and games still being active. There's this temptation to kind of go and kill it because when you're only one nil in front, it's incredibly precarious. And as we saw, you know, you've got to get the balance right. And I just felt watching it. Why, why, why are they not? Why are they not shutting down space here? You know, they were the. They, they just approached that last ten minutes in a and a very what must have been a very frustrating game to watch. That's for sure. There was a lot of images of um, fans streaming out of the ground. You know, just um, kind of crestfallen, and yeah, it's what we've been talking about a lot recently. You know, those 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 extremes of emotions, and it's never never nice to to be on the the wrong end of that. Yeah, no, it's just. I can imagine because obviously like we've been to that stadium and like you walk out and usually there's like people going to have some more beers and do stuff like that. But I can imagine most people were probably just like, I just want to go home. <laughs> I just don't want to, don't want to have to deal with anything like that. But yeah, I think kind of looking back, it has been an exciting, entertaining season overall. And it, it was nice, no offence to Club Rouge fans, but it was nice in a sense knowing going into this these playoffs that we were going to have a new champion because um, it has been a while. Yeah. Um, and these three teams really did push each other. And I think we all expect that club will be back up there next season. So we kind of just hope that these three will be able to sustain that success. But yeah, I think Garrett said afterwards, he's like, I'm not going to talk about my future now, but he'll definitely have some offers. I don't, I feel like Van Bommel is likely to stay. I feel like he looks pretty happy and content at Antwerp but again you never know where offers are going to come from but there's already talk about Gaysons wanting to make them a force in European football and stuff and all that so <laughs> we'll see how that goes but is Paul definitely... going to open his wallet again is that is that what you're hinting at Ben <laughs> uh, maybe just a little to. bit he might have he to. looked quite creepy smile on his face didn't he <laughs> after that one <laughs> uh, and then they broke the trophy of course we should mention that yeah he barely had it for a couple of hours so... was it Richie Delat that broke it or my 
chucking him under the bus. I didn't see the the, the, the offending uh, individual, but uh, I did see footage of uh, the, the the trophy in various states of disrepair. And the funniest thing about it actually was there was a number of photographs of players individually with it, and it looked like the, the trophy was getting more and more broken um, with each with each <laughs> successive photograph. And players were finding these strange. It was like it was like those game shows where they give you a kind of random prop, and then you've got to pretend what they hand you is something else. Um, it was a bit like that, you know. I saw Gaston Avia, you know, holding it up like it was a, a a drinking goblet, and that was the broken part, the globe part at the top. At one point, it was just it was just bizarre. But it's a very heavy trophy, actually. We should point that it's very very heavy trophy, so it's probably quite easy to break. To be fair. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, what's it made of if it's just fallen to pieces like that instantly? Um, <laughs> but yeah, maybe they'll have to have a new one, new one next season after what they've just done to it. But I don't think they really care. And obviously, they had the the bus tour today, and the fans streamed out. So it's a great moment for the city, a footballing city that has been denied top flight football for a very long time with Antwerp. And if you haven't, definitely go and listen to our chat with Bob de Jong from the Vacanta Pal that we did in our first season. If you scroll back through our archives to find the Antwerp special and kind of hear a little bit more about the history of the club and kind of the bad years when they were down in that second tier and going really going through it to then finally coming back up, winning the cup a couple of seasons ago. And then, yeah, they um, have now added the double. So it's a great kind of return story for a, for a big club like that, isn't it? To come back up and to have finally won the league and, I mean, commiserations to all the others involved, but yeah, it was a fantastic final day. And it's one of those things, guys, I think we'll look back on and be like, this is one of the best final days we've ever witnessed in kind of football in general. And it was great. Yeah, it was great to see it everywhere as well. Like people picking it up, not just because it was Toby Alvarez, I think because of the the drama of all that sort of stuff. And I'm sure the uh, guys at the Pro League were very happy to see it kind of trending on all the social media and stuff because that obviously adds a little bit more cash to the old coffers and stuff like that um we've got a, a list of questions then we're going to move on to kind of our team of the season player of the season young player of the season and coach of the season but any other kind of things you guys want to mention about this season as a whole before we kind of move on any moments that you want to mention or anything from this game same again next year would be absolutely lovely in terms of excitement <laughs> I, I i'm putting that in as a request um right now yeah it's it's it's, it's been a great season on the whole a, a lot of great moments in fact so many that you know I, I probably can't it's not the best time to reel them off here but yeah i mean if we get anything even close to that again next year it'll be another sensational year it really will it's been a great 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 year for the pro league i think on the whole we can only hope for more indeed absolutely so before we do our kind of awards, let's just have a little listener question that we got from Matt J. Ball. It starts with a hypothetical question. Uh, we have seen the rise of multi-club models like Citigroup, Chelsea, looking at clubs in France, Belgium and Brazil. With the increase in Belgian clubs for sale, like Club Bruges, what are your opinions on multi-club models and if you would like it in the league? Do you think they benefit these teams or hinder them? And would the league itself stand up for it? Uh, asking as a Chelsea fan, but as part Belgian and with family with a family of Bruges fans. I've got my opinion on this one, but I'll let you guys go first. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm i a little bit more open to the whole multi-club uh, model than, than, than a lot of football fans are. I, I don't think um, they're, they're all bad. It's about what the objectives are, uh, what the plan is, what the strategy is. And the thing is, from a specifically Belgian perspective, what you have to bear in mind is often the attraction is how do we remain, and this is a question for all clubs, how do you remain continually competitive and, and build upon what you have to offer so you don't get left behind? Um, we know that the top talent in Belgium will move on at some point to the, the, the top five leagues, one of the top five leagues, and you have to maximise your revenue. You have to be continually developing your infrastructure to, to offer yourself as a club the best chance for players to come to you. And there are two ways of doing that. Either you have, much like Antwerp does, uh, their very own sugar daddy, Paul the Wallet Gasons, who's, who's helped them along the way, or you become part of a multi-club network who who invest in you, who provide um, access to a bigger network and a bigger infrastructure that allows you to continually develop. So 
because of the global nature of football, unfortunately, I think it's becoming, whether you like it or not, it's here to stay and something that's only going to increase. And there are now very, very few clubs in Belgium who aren't part of a, a, a larger network. And those that aren't are now actively looking either at becoming part of one or some major investment um, from, from, from outside. So it's not all bad. Um, I think the bad stories kind of, you know, taint, taint the whole thing, but it's really about getting the right fit for your club, obviously, because it can, as a lot of fans rightly point out, go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, and we've seen kind of the culmination of an example of that with, you know, what's happened to Ustend this season as well, where they've just um, just, just imploded through through a range of factors. And I'm one of those fans that Scott is talking about and that see that a whole <laughs> lot more negative for sure. And also as a fan of one of the clubs that actually doesn't uh i'm especially skeptical about the the foreign ownership models because that mainly means like belgium is not your the, the belgian team is most likely not your top priority and that's in going to hurt the league uh you know anyway uh in the club specifically in itself more even more of course but uh the league in as a whole on a whole as well i'm uh, more skeptical about it but uh, i i do agree that it's probably inevitable inevitable it would be naive to say differently but i'm, I'm not a fan <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm more more with yoris on this one like i appreciate when it can be done right but i'm always like well how long is that success going to be sustained and even like not just the multi-club ones but like the more kind of like bilateral ones like you had salag and mets mets go down salag are done like they, they've cooked just because Mets went down, so they got mm-hmm. done by that. I guess Circular and Monaco have been slightly different. They've shown how it can work, so like props to them. And then Brighton and Union, it's like they're they're not as kind of connected as Circular and uh, Monaco from kind of the conversations we've had. It doesn't seem as close. But then you look at kind of like you, you're already kind of looking at Molenbeek and starting to get a little bit concerned with how Mister Text is running that club uh, at the moment as part of the multi club model but i think Ooh, what you said is kind of like that's, that's <laughs> a conversation ben isn't it we'll come back yeah. on our challenger pro league pre-season preview you know the the spicy drama that's been going down on at molenbeek recently <laughs> just crazy absolutely crazy what's happening there um but yeah it may be all of settled by the time we get to the previews but kind of what yours said is like the belgian team won't be their priority and then you just if they're just going to be dumping young players into that who can't get visas in their bigger clubs or because they're just kind of like development. It's like, it could really skew the league depending on who they buy, obviously. Mm. And like the clubs that these, these teams, if they're like the lower league, lower down clubs, it's like, there's just kind of, yeah, you, you kind of want clubs to have that opportunity to be their own independent selves and run themselves and do that. But I think Joris is also right in saying kind of the inevitability of this whole thing is just, it is what it is. You're going to kind of start to have these franchise sort of style things anyway, because the money in the bigger European leagues is so big that these guys can afford to run more than one club. Like just think about the guys, if you think like a couple of years ago, the thought that like someone could own like two or three football clubs was just like baffling. Like how could you, let alone you're financing one Premier League side, how could you possibly think of having another team? So it is just a crazy kind of time we're living in. And it's, you just got to hope that these, we don't see a load of boost ends because that's just been an absolute mess. And then we're looking at seven, seven, seven now at standardly age, and you're kind of like, oh, well, it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel like it's going in the right direction. Give them, they've obviously only been there for a year, so they've still got time to kind of work that one out. But it's a little bit kind of like, mm. uh, and I guess kind of Matt, you obviously your questions like, as a Chelsea fan. I guess you probably do need somewhere to put all those players that uh, your owner keeps signing. So it probably the quality of kind of the players that Chelsea would give to one of these clubs would actually probably be quite good because they're spending so much money on these guys. Like we'll probably see some great players. But no, all jokes aside, I think it's it, it is inevitable. We've just got to hope that these owners or whoever does buy these clubs actually treats them as their own thing and that respects like the traditions and the history of these clubs enough more union and circular than the other aforementioned ones i suppose is uh, the main message here (laughs) i think you know the the guys are right i think they're really good examples of of multi-club networks which you know the strategy and intention and and the working model is basically right it isn't simply as ben was saying let's go and buy a club in another country to you know dump lots of players to give them game time to to maybe come back to us and even 
even if they don't and they do well, you know, we'll, we'll still make money out of them. Um, so you're just seen as a very small wheel in, in, in a larger cog. I think those ones that yet yeah, have been mentioned are great examples of ones that complement each other. And that's what I was getting at. It can work. Unfortunately, I think the majority of the time, and this is where I do agree with the guys, the majority of the time, they, they often don't work because the the alignment isn't right. I think as well, you've got to put the right people in place. Like we know that with Monaco, they've put Carlos in place and he's got a passion for that, for circle. Yeah. Like he cares about circle and he wants them to do well. The same, obviously, in, at Union, they've put Alex in charge and he loves the club. Like he just fits into that club. But then we also, let's look down into one of the groups that can be quite criticised in the City group. But again, we've spoken to Mike and we know he does actually care about Lommel. He obviously lives over there. Like he's gone and tried to embed himself in that club to kind of show that they're not just there kind of for the sake of it. But then they're quite an interesting story anyway, because in many ways, them coming in saved that club from like going further down and financially and stuff. So it's kind of like they've had to balance that, haven't they, in Lommel in the sense. They're quite an interesting case study as part of the City Group because it's like, would they still exist without this financial backing? Like, where would they be? But then for the fans, it's like, what's more important, I guess, kind of in that situation? Is it that you still have a club in some sense or that backers come in, they've kind of changed how the club operates, but the club is still existing. So, yeah, we've been very lucky to speak to kind of people within these multi-club sort of organisations and kind of see how they work. We haven't spoken to people within East End, but we can kind of just see from the outside that that just completely didn't work because East End weren't the only team that suffered from that setup and makeup. But yeah, no, great question, Matt. I think it's something that we speak about a lot off air anyway. Uh, we're always kind of talking about it because of some of the clubs that we speak to as well are part of those networks. So it's interesting kind of hearing kind of about that. But um, yeah, maybe we'll see Chelsea, uh, Todd, Todd Bowley, isn't it? Maybe... I know that you said they are interested in a couple of these teams. I don't know whether Club Bruges, guys, could you see them becoming part of a multi-club thing? I don't feel like that's something... I don't think the fans would be happy with that. Probably not, although the the early indications are that there is a mysterious American investor. Now, whether that's a, a an individual or a group of individuals, I suspect a group who, who are showing a little bit of interest there. But I, I think they'll be very careful because the Rain Group, as we were saying just last week, are, are looking at all of this for Verheigen Manor. I, I think they'll be very careful about who they might choose as well. And because Bruges are a slightly different case in terms of where they're sitting financially, it makes that acquisition a little bit different as well. So that's slightly more kind of um, complex. Yeah, I also deem, deem it unlikely. Okay, they're already part of a, partly owned by other another, another uh, American investor group, of course. But well, even then, it's it's not a multi club model, uh, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Right, let's move on to team of the season. Me and Joris have gone for one player from each club. We're not sure if Scott has. He did put up a team that had a couple more players from each one, but we'll forgive him for that because <laughs> yeah. I, I've been awkward, <laughs> everybody. <laughs> yeah, does what he wants and it's fine. We'll get through it. So we're just going to kind of go position by position. We'll all kind of give who we've put in our one. Uh, we're not going to try and create a cohesive team, but maybe we'll stick all of our teams up on our Twitter account and people can vote for the one they think is the, the closest to what they would have picked. But bear in mind, yeah, obviously me and yours will have definitely missed players off that Scott has included for us as well to kind of make it happy. Uh, and then we'll obviously do a player of the season we'll try and agree on, young player of the season we'll try and agree on, and then a coach of the season as well. We'll start with goalkeepers and Joris, I'll go to you first. Who have you got as your goalkeeper in your team of the season? Probably both the weakest link in my team and the most surprising choice uh, of, of all that I will make. Uh, but that is because of these limitations, uh, which is uh, Schmidt from Sintrada, um, who, uh, well... I, I I have to admit, based on like many of the actual topics, were not possible because of this uh, of the system, the limitations I put on myself. So I I went a bit down to the stats, and well, out of what was left, um, he he does quite well. And well, we all know that Sinter had a quite a decent defense. Uh, it's not all down to him, of course, but um, yeah, he he did, definitely did have. I feel as well like his his best season in in Sinter, uh, so far. Anyway, so yeah, that's my um, left uh, left field pick. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strong shout. No, I'm a big fan of Schmidt. I think he's a great goalkeeper. And yeah, I agree. I think he's had his best season. Uh, Scott, 
I've gone for uh, Antwerp's Jean Bouté, principally because nothing to do with the shutout record, because that's a useless goalkeeping stat in modern football, I think, and more to do just with uh, body language reasons. I think he is a goalkeeper who inspires uh, confidence in in those around them, and um, that's what you want. Yeah, he's one that definitely is appearing of interest in the transfer window. Yeah, game of limitations, I, I was struggling between a couple for this team but I've eventually gone for him just based on what else I've picked I've gone for Radoslav Majeki of Circle of Bruges I think he's been great when he's been in between the sticks penalty yeah. saves aside he's made some really crucial blocks and stops them kind of like what you said with Butte Scott in terms of like breeding confidence he is a man full of confidence and I think yeah he's going to be missed when he goes back I think he's been a great kind of loan signing from Monaco. So I've gone with Mayeki. Right back, Scott, who have you gone with at right back? We've gone, I've gone for a 4-4-2 just because it's the easiest way to fit people in. Um, so I'm going to be talking about this as if it's a 4-4-2. But obviously there's some players that can kind of like hybrid in these situations because of the three five twos that teams play. But Scott, who have you gone for it right I've back? gone for uh, Genk's Daniel Munoz, who's been really, really good, bombing up and down that line uh, like a madman um, all season, uh, getting into places that you don't expect. And that's what we all want from um, a, a, a modern a modern fullback, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Goal-scoring-wise as well, he's had a fantastic, fantastic yeah. season. Uh, yours? I would also have picked him, but yet again, limitations. Uh, but uh, I think I've went for uh, the same one as Ben uh, in the end, uh, Patrice from uh, Leuven, who, especially in the beginning of the season, was uh, performing really well. I guess afterwards, well, it petered out a little bit, but not dramatically, I guess. So quite a really good breakout season, I guess, for him. Yeah, breakout's definitely a word. Yeah, I went for Patrice. I think he's a great season from right back, and he kind of played right back, centre back as well. So... At 20 years old, he's definitely an exciting talent to watch. Uh, central defenders, I'll say both of mine now. I've gone for uh, a, a combination that Roberto Martinez would just, he'd look at and he'd just feel so happy to see them together. <laughs> uh, Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen. Alderweireld, he's also going to be my probably my captain in this team as well. I just thought he, he had an impact clearly when he came in. Uh, to this side in terms of like league's best defence. He was definitely at the heart of that and one of the better players there. And he would have got there even if he hadn't scored that goal at the weekend, just want to add. But Tongan as well, I thought he was fantastic for Anderlecht. Um Defensively, they didn't have a bad record at all. And he was definitely a big part of that. And I think Zeno de Bass is going to have an even better career now that he's played... Uh, so much alongside Vertonga. I think he's really going to have learned a lot of things. Joris, who are your two central defenders? Again, a bit left field. And yeah, I have to say this, that I made this selection before uh, the games yesterday as well, uh, because I would be tempted to change something there, but I have not. I have gone for an, a different Antwerp player in my team, so I could not pick Alderweireld. I might have otherwise done uh, as, as sad as it is it for me, uh, for, is, as it is for me, he literally decided the league as well up front in the end. Not his main task, but quite uh, important. But uh, in the end, I've went for Okumu and uh, Watanabe. So from Ghent and from Kortrijk. Uh, again, relatively left field picks, uh, I suppose. But Okumu, I was a bit surprised myself. I was really struggling to find um, to find someone else, but his stats, uh, I went with the stats again. Yeah, actually are, are really well. Um, so that's why I went for him. And Watanabe, I, I, again, like, I feel like he's been a bit hyped over the last month or so, well, two months or so. Uh, last month that Kortrijk was, in, in, was uh, playing. So I uh, hope he can confirm that. But um, yeah, again, there's some limitations. I can uh, keep on repeating that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Watanabe is, uh, my, is my shout. And I didn't see any other options available that that actually were better. So no, um, I'm, I'm stand by it as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I was very tempted with Watanabe. As was uh, I. I, I was, as was I. <laughs> yeah, who did you go with then, Scott? Um, well, I, I went, uh, my pairing is Big Toby, and I'd, I'd actually chose um, him before before the climax of this weekend just because he, he's actually, I think he's exceeded uh, my expectations, certainly. He's had a, an incredible effect on that squad, I think, and scored some really important goals from them in, in the, 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 
you know, second half of the season and obviously this weekend as well, the the most significant one. He's, he's been brilliant. Um, and I've paired him with um, somebody you mentioned uh, a little while ago, Ben, uh, Zeno Debas, who I think has been really good, as as we know. You know, I don't need to rave about him. Everyone's aware of Zeno's quality, but, you know, I think he's he's gone up another gear uh, this season for me. Some of his uh, balls out from the back, you know, his, his line-breaking passes for a for a central defender sometimes are, are, are sensational. And it looks it looks quite encouraging that he, he's going to still be at Anderlecht next season, which is really good news for them and for us. Yeah, fingers crossed uh, that we get to see a bit more Zeno next year. Uh, Left-back, I presume we all have exactly the same name, for this one, uh, Scott, I'll let you say this one because surely, surely you've all gone the um, same. I've gone yeah. for Mister De Kuyper at Westerlo. Yeah. yeah, has to be. Has to. I, I, I maybe an honourable. I don't know. Like Bjorn Meyer thought he had a decent season, but yeah, De Kuyper, it's got to be, hasn't it? Like yours, I presume you were exactly the same. Yes, of course. Um, well, it's it. It also is so clear that he's a ten out player there, which also always helps with the, with building the, this kind of teams, but. <laughs> Oh, even without that, I think, um, yeah, the, yeah, okay, Mayer has a good shout. Yes, no, exactly. Right midfield, I'm guessing oh, I've lost, I've lost all track of who I'm going to with where. But yours, I'm <laughs> going to go back to you. Right wing, who have you gone for? Uh, uh, I, I, I believe now it can get really boring. So, uh, but uh, in the in the next. Four picks, I guess, if you go by midfield. I think I went for the exact same choices as Ben, but uh, Herremans from Mechelen, who uh, had a we had a good season in output as well, and well as one of this uh, or one of the only Mechelen players, maybe even for, <laughs> especially throughout the whole, especially consistently throughout the whole season. Uh, that he really had a yeah a personally good season. I haven't seen who won their like awards, but surely he won every single award <laughs> they ever give out, even like. Even like young player of the season, he probably should have won it. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was that good for them. Yeah, I am the same. Scott, who have you uh, gone for? Probably an obvious one. And to me, to me, the the only one really, particularly is I'm being the awkward one and, and not going for the, you know, one person, <laughs> uh, one player per team. Um, Joseph Pansel at Genk, you know, self-explanatory, I think. Mm. Yeah, again, not much needs to be said about that one. He was just fantastic at... 17 goals, I think he got in the league this season. Uh, remarkable achievement for him. Yep. Uh, I'll say my two central midfielders, and Joris will nod in the background. I've gone for Teddy Tuma of Union and Adam Zorgan of Charleroi. Mm-hmm. I feel like that combination of central midfielders, you just come off the pitch with a lot of bruises because these <laughs> are two big athletes that get up and down the pitch, but they can pass, they can score they can do pretty much everything uh unfortunately we're probably not going to see Zorgan next season he'll he'll be off Tuma we don't know fingers crossed he was to be here because he's just a joy to watch and seeing him live you just really appreciate what mm. he does for that team in terms of leadership and stuff I think he's a fantastic fantastic player uh Zorgan as well we saw live but it wasn't the best Zorgan game because they were absolutely <laughs> demolished by Circle Bouge, um, unfortunately. But Scott, who's your central midfield pair? Well, this is interesting because I, I wasn't too dissimilar from you guys, actually. I I have uh, Teddy Tuma in mind, but instead of Adam Zorgan, who nearly paired up with Teddy, much like you guys, in, in a moment of clairvoyancy, you could almost say, I went in the end for Fias Selimani just because he produced just enough moments of of quality throughout the season to, to be in with a shout with this for me. And the slightly controversial thing here is I, I've put him slightly out of position normally he plays out wide of course and I've put him in central midfield but he's such a good player, he can do that <laughs> He did play a little bit of attacking midfield uh, towards like kind of with understalk yep, um, if I remember correctly yep. so we'll let you get away with that one for now I guess, uh, I was speaking on behalf of yours but left midfield uh, back to you Scott for this one I presume again we've probably all gone with the same man, I feel like there's only one man for this yep, one Yep, Mr Trezor it has to be um, and yeah there won't be anybody who'll argue with us I don't think <laughs> No, he is, yeah Hands down, he just wins that left midfield spot. Again, he was probably my first name on. Him and De Kuyper were my first two. I was like, they, they've locked those positions down. Joris, two strikers. Who have you gone for in those? I think I can guess. Oh, no, actually, I don't know. Well, based on what I said before, maybe there you could know one. Um, and that is uh, Janssen from Antwerp, which is 
slightly left field maybe uh, pick as well, but um, I feel like his uh, when he was not there, it was uh, really mm. crucial for them. Okay, in the end, it did not matter. Uh, well, or they got away with it, but uh, the, his imp- which means his impact was was really big as well. Um, both offensively as defensively and any uh, any onset pieces defensively as well, uh, but uh, also his work rate in general. Yeah, and still scoring in the end a fair bit of, uh, of uh, uh, amount of goals. I also have to uh, put uh, hold my hands up, I guess, because in the beginning of the season, uh, much like all of us, I think I believe uh, I was not very mm. convinced of him. But um, yeah, uh, he definitely has proven me wrong there. Yeah. Oh, and my second one, sorry. Uh, yes, um, is, uh, well, another reason why I... I my my yes, my, my yes was... My, okay, the goalkeeper <laughs> from Stekleberg was definitely also on the shortlist, but uh, I have gone for Ueda because I actually feel like uh, 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 Janssen and Ueda would be fairly complementary as well. So And Ueda had a good season, yeah, and... I was thinking about Kuipers. Yes, I am leaving the top scorer of the league out. But I guess there it was also a bit more with the limitations. Uh, yeah, uh, as well. Plus, I think, to be honest, this, yeah, Janssen maybe fills that role of uh, of Kuipers uh, in, in my team as well. Um, whether he does it better or not, well, I don't know. I just picked <laughs> the team. I didn't think too much. <laughs> but uh, also wanted to not have uh, all the same names as uh, you guys. I don't think that's the case anyway, though. But uh, in this specific case. Uh, Scott, who have you gone for then? Have you gone for the same two or slightly different? Well, kind of quite close. I, I've paired up um, Hugo Kuipers, obviously, finishes to- as top scorer, 27 goals in, in 39. But for, for me, it was more the fact that, you know, he's the first Belgian, as we were saying earlier, you know, to to, to win the top scorer, um, the the Golden Boot Award since since Lukaku in two thousand and ten, so that's quite significant and interesting um, in itself. Real predatory striker, um, who I think, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys would agree, but he's exceeded my expectations. I I I wouldn't have had him down as as top scorer before the start of the season. I don't think at all. So he, he's done really well, and I've paired him with um, Ayazi Uida at Circle, who again. Likewise, had a brilliant season, um, pushed Kuipers really hard for top scorer in the end. And when you think he's come to Belgium and it's been his first season here, uh, coming from such a such a different culture in Japan and the J-League to, to adapt so quickly and to, to, to produce what he has there has been really, really good. And unfortunately, it looks like he's going to be on his way over the summer, but Circle look like they are going to be well-deservedly recompensed um, f- for that. But yeah, he's he's been he's been magnificent. Yeah, he was the one I just... It was between him and Miyeki, like with Yoris. And I just, yeah, I went Miyeki instead. But I, yeah, I went to Kuipers as well. He's my Ghent kind of one. I just, yeah, couldn't ignore what he did. And then I was like, uh, I've got space for Gianni Bruno, who mm. was a controversial selection when we first did the podcast. I don't know if you guys remember uh, when we stuck him with over Ito, didn't we? Um, yeah. And that ended any kind of chance of us ever trying to like make a cohesive team ever again. <laughs> we could nip that one in the bud. Uh, but yeah, I've gone Bruno up front with Kuipers, which which in theory could be a strike force for Ghent next season if they wanted to, but it's probably not going to happen. But he basically scored all the St. Juden's goals. And I think if without the other two, like Kuipers, Ueda, Janssen, he's probably kind of the one after those guys uh, in kind of the striking position. So yeah, that's our individual team of the seasons. We will post those on our Twitter account later on so you guys can kind of vote for the one you think would do the best. Uh, bear in mind, we had some of us had some limitations and some of us didn't. Let's then go to our next one, which will be a the young player of the season. I think having spoken about this before the episode, I think I've probably come round to your way of thinking. Yours mentioned this name, so I'll let him say this one as well give him something to be more cheerful about I guess but Joris the young player of the season that we're probably going to go with uh, why don't you tell everyone who we've gone for well it depends um, I guess uh, there's two main ones uh, I think uh, both of them would be good shouts uh, but I've gone for El Canus or over Vermeer just because um, of Vermeer appearing slightly later in the season not necessarily less uh less uh, convincingly uh, but um, I, I still went a bit maybe less objectively for me as well for, for El Canus uh, based on 
based on that um, and all the experiences that they already had had uh, has had over this whole season now as well. Yep, he's he's been he's been absolutely excellent, and if anything, he probably hasn't get the credit that that he, he really deserves. I think next season is going to be a huge huge season for him, and I think there's lots of people expecting really great things of uh, Bilal Elkanus. Ramirez an interesting one because obviously you know he he's won the, the the pro league young player of the year and real breakout season for Arthur Ramirez. And, and a lot of people kind of watching him, much like a lot of people watching Bilal Akunus now, actually, uh, right, rightly so. But yeah, I think y- yours is right. I think Bermirin, you know, the fact that it's really his breakout season slightly counts against him um, at the moment. And hopefully, fingers crossed, he will still be in the Pro League next season because there is a possibility he might leave in the summer as well because of the, the interest there in him. But hopefully, if he does go somewhere else, then, you know, he might be staying at Antwerp on loan for another season. He needs to to be, be playing, you know, regular football style, much like Bilal Elkanus will, and I'm sure he'll be, uh, you know, a real regular feature in that gang side next season. Yeah, no, I th- it was, yeah, between Vermeer and for sure and Bilal Elkanus, but I'm, I'm happy to go with Bilal for this one. Fantastically talented player who's just, the numbers don't jump out of the with the assists and goals and stuff, but when you watch them play, he is involved in the goals. Many times he's playing the most decisive pass. Like it was a Saturday, wasn't it? The Tolu goal. He plays the initial pass, which then becomes the cross for the goal. And it's just, yeah, he's just a fantastic player. And there's a reason lots of scouts, especially kind of like the ones well, that produce but- like through Twitter and stuff, they were very excited about it. That, that was Sunday, of course, and actually that this time it was an assist as well <laughs> from, from him. <laughs> so I'm just so I wasn't picking up the ball and then through it. Yeah, but saw, you know what I mean? Like, he is involved, isn't he? He plays those balls through the line and stuff like that. He's just a fantastic player. And yeah, two great kids, two great talents coming from the Belgian league. Uh, so we'll go Bilal. Let's go with our coach of the season. I've put Mark Van Bommel uh, forward for this one. I just feel like the double, obviously, a historic. Like I, I was kind of mentioning earlier, wasn't I, guys, about how he, he suffered that from like started unbeaten, then had a dip, but then he's brought them back from the dip and they've come into the playoffs. They won those first three games, then kind of it got a bit tense, but they got there in the end. He's kind of had to juggle the midfield a bit. He's been prepared to give players like Vermeer and a, that chance to play. Um, he's turned Stengs into a central midfielder at points as well and that's kind of got the best out of him um, he's built that solid defence as well with the likes of Toby Adevard and stuff and he's just kind of he's remained kind of he looks on the side he's remained calm but there's that overflow of emotion but I think he's just done a fantastic job and it's always easy to give the guy that wins the league the coach of the season uh, but I do think Van Bommel deserves it with the double but I think there's plenty of other honourable mentions so feel free to just chuck some more names out there because I think they definitely deserve a shout out. Well, I think we know that, you know, Wouter Rankin at Genk and, and Carol Gierertz, both both are great seasons, both done very, very well. Gierertz obviously had a, a a very successful run in Europe with Union as well as, as being able to keep Union uh, in the title race right to the end. Um you know, and and that's that that's important here. And he's he's done again. He's exceeded expectations there. He's had a great season. Franken has really revitalised Genk on the whole. And we didn't quite know what sort of Genk we were going to get this season. There was an assumption, obviously, with certain key players leaving before he came in, that um, even though he was always going to be a very good appointment, I think everybody was unanimous agreeing he was a good fit. We just weren't sure whether it was going to work, obviously, and and it has. And you know, as we now know, they were. You know, a little over a minute away from uh, from from Dreamland um, this weekend wasn't to be, but m- maybe next season they've both been very good. But somebody else worth mentioning here, who yours might want to pick up in a sec because he's definitely worth a mention. Who nobody uh, across the media has mentioned is uh, Miron Muslic at Circle. They've had a, a a brilliant, brilliant season, finishing sixth, their best finish since two thousand and eight. He's doing really good work there. You know, he's working with a squad of players who clearly enjoy working with him as he does with them and uh, producing really great things there. And he's, um, yeah, he, he deserves a mention here. Definitely, yes. And um, though I'll also say the, uh, the lately slightly more controversial name of Dyla, who also, regardless of the, these last controversial weeks, uh, had a had a great season with a to be honest terrible squad uh, maybe to to not uh, shy away from the words um, but uh, well he parked them also in a nice spot 
until yeah okay uh, the, the, now it's, it's departure at Cleveland of course but uh, yeah nonetheless a, a good season for a a, way, a, a a big overachiever uh, for Standard which still sometimes a bit weird to say that about Standard when they ended in seventh spot overall to be honest but uh, that's the reality of the of that club at the moment uh, of course yeah no definitely and then yeah Daruk of uh, Vestal had a good season and um, uh, even Bern Stork to be fair he did a great job to keep Kortelijk in the league in the end so fair play to him Joris did obviously mention Scott Parker beforehand and I'm surprised you kept him off your list this time as well um, <laughs> shout. Um, well Adnan Kustovic whose name I actually completely forgot for a second I completely forgot he'd even been manager of Kortreich. Uh but anyway let's not talk about these guys let's talk about other things before we do our play of the season and then round it out I can't remember if we do this one but we're going to chuck it anyway let's do a signing of the season uh, from each of you I'll uh, start with you, Scott. Who would be your signing of the season? Well, I think, oh, interesting one. Wasn't expecting this. I think just off the top of my head, I would I would come back to Hugo Kuipers again because um, I, you know, same reasons really was in my team of the season. He's exceeded expectations, I think, there. And I think having other certain players around them to continually push him and challenge him, I suspect, has been a factor in, you know, in, in getting to 27 goals. So I, I would say Hugo Kuipers, to be honest. No, great shot. Especially with Tusudali going down, he became mm. even more crucial, those goals. Yeah. He definitely had to make up for that as well. Uh, yours? Controversially, since he's not in my team of the season, I guess um, I might pick Alderweireld this time, even though Janssen actually was also signing. <laughs> but uh, but uh, well, in the front, I would say then my other front striker, Ueda. Um, so I'll, I'll give two, mm. Ueda and Alderweireld a shout here. Um yeah, Alderweireld is a bit too a bit too conservative uh, of a pick for me as well. So that's why I'll 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 chop to Ueda <laughs> in as well. I'll give myself that freedom. <laughs> <laughs> no, definitely. Uh, those are definitely all names that I was going to say uh, in mind as well. Just a couple of other mentions, I guess, that we could chuck in. Uh, I guess I already mentioned my goalkeeper Miyaki. He was a good signing. Uh, for Circle Bruges for this season, but I think Ueda was definitely their signing of the season, and then maybe one that he he doesn't really make teams of the season or something like that. But you could, you could maybe chuck in a Zinkanagel uh, for Standard. Mm-hmm. I think he definitely had a massive impact on their their team and in a team with such little quality, he was definitely a really good signing. So he definitely deserves credit. I'm trying to think of teams at the bottom who made some big signings to keep them up, but the team that kind of made some of the biggest signings went down in terms of Zoltavagem. Um, so I think a player worth mentioning here who actually is from the Challenger Pro League, funnily enough, who who was sensational as well, uh, Beveren's Tierno Barry, their 20-year-old uh, striker. I mean, he, he scored 20 and 21 with four assists this season. Um, really, really good young player who almost certainly isn't going to be staying at, at Beveren. Uh, we're yet to find out what his next destination is, but he he's definitely, I think, probably one of the best signings across Belgium, I think, this season. Yeah, yeah, hard to argue with him. And then maybe even the likes of Biron uh, for Molenbeek is probably their kind of equivalent of Barry, isn't he, uh, in that yep. sense? And um, I'm sure East End fans would love to hear that name. <laughs> <laughs> Bless them. Uh, let's go to player of the season. And I think ours probably matches what the Pro League have done, doesn't it? It has to be Mike Tressel. He was the first name on our team sheet in terms of left midfield, record assists, just absolute creative force this season. And as I said to you guys before, I kind of it, it feels like it deserves to be put up there with kind of Onoachi's record baking goal season in the sense of for a midfielder, especially for a winger, this is like such a pinnacle thing to be able to do is to create that many chances. It shows that you're not just lucky. Do you know what I mean? You're not like you can yeah. create, you're very creative, you're a very, very good player. Um for him it's probably a bittersweet moment winning that award. Um I'm sure he'd probably trade it in for the title. But he he definitely is a deserving player of the season, isn't he? Yeah, I think his his, his numbers are absolutely wild. I mean, eight, eight goals, which doesn't sound like that much, but I actually think that's kind of decent, you know, over the course of um 39 games, 21 assists but a really important thing here actually is what Ben said right at the beginning and that's about the number of chances he's created out with the assists he's credited with as well are are right up there uh, in, in the European assist charts across the whole of Europe as well so uh, top, top 
top season for him. Yeah, brilliant stuff. I guess I don't have much to add, uh, and it's uh, obviously that I, I like this pick, <laughs> but uh, I do also think it's deserved uh, for sure. And we'll, yeah. we'll we'll find out we'll find out tomorrow, I think, won't we, guys? Whether whether he's made um, Domenico Tedesco's squad for the 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 next Red Devils games, I think. Yeah. So by the time this goes out, you should all know. If he has done, and hopefully he does. I think it'd just be a nice nod to what he's done, wouldn't it, this season? But that is, I believe, all the awards for this season. That's team of the season done. That's the season done. I can't believe we've reached the end of a, a third season of the Belgian football podcast, I believe. I'm just trying to like remember how many times we've been doing this. But as ever, guys, it has been an absolute pleasure going through this turbulent season with you. Obviously, we've had some personal highlights getting out to the games, uh, finally, as a trio post-COVID to see everything. And we're definitely, definitely looking forward to next season. And we'll obviously be back with a bumper pre-season preview for the Pro League and the Challenger Pro League. We'll also hopefully be bringing some more interviews and stuff like that. We're just kind of working on stuff. Maybe some stuff will happen in between now and the pre-season. We're not sure, but definitely during next season we'll get some more interviews and we'll definitely get out to some more games so to anyone who is listening in Belgium hopefully we'll see you at a couple of matches there but yeah guys anything else you want to say before we wrap it up for the 2022-2023 season no it's been a it's been an absolute delight and uh I'm about to go and get back in my helicopter now and <laughs> fly fly away for a little while before we get back together to do our pre-season previews which are always very highly anticipated um ahead of the ahead of the new season so uh, thanks for listening everyone cheers for your ears as they say we'll see you very soon and uh, I'll uh, yeah first go cry a bit more and then <laughs> and then uh, I'll try to get the my uh, since I discovered specifically this weekend during the games that I definitely am uh, a bit too negative uh, even though it was realistic in the end uh, that I'm the negative kind of supporter I'll try to m- remove that side of myself and just be a bit more optimistic and uh, let's see how that goes I think it won't last until the but uh, the previews uh, anyway already but we'll find that out yeah, whenever we record the previews uh, the, the, the pre-season preview we will uh, we'll see how uh, my forecast here on that front uh, went <laughs> absolutely absolutely it would obviously do a, a table preview as well but yeah for me off to watch basketball watch cycling and then get ready for the football season once again because it come round so quickly but as always if you've enjoyed listening to us this year please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice we really do appreciate looking at them and reading them and seeing people enjoying what we're doing uh, and obviously, yeah, spread the word about Belgian football, especially if anyone's been talking to you about that craziness of the final game. Be like, oh, there's a podcast you can listen to all about this crazy, crazy league as well. But yeah, like we said, we will be back for our pre-season previews in a month or so. But in the meanwhile, our Twitter account will still be working. Uh, it will still be updating any sort of transfers and stuff like that for us to discuss when we do get back. But it has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us for another season. We are very much looking forward to next season and continuing to create this podcast for you. So yeah, we'll speak to you soon. Not very soon, definitely soon uh, on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. <laughs>